welcome to the first Intuition podcast. This is a special episode recorded for International Women's Day and was hosted by my colleagues Kelly O'Donovan and Jess Carey. The session was recorded in front of a live Zoom audience and if you'd like to join a future show, you can register with them. There's a link in the show notes. So welcome everybody to this first Intuition podcast. My name's Kelly O'Donovan and I'm joined by a special co-host this evening, Jess Carey. Now you might be thinking, well hold on, where's Dave and, and Ben this evening? Well, This week's edition is a special edition in honour of International Women's Day, which was yesterday. And our theme this evening is about challenging bias. So I've got an esteemed group of ladies who have joined me on our panel this evening, and I'll let them introduce themselves to you all in a moment. But those of you who don't know me, I say my name's Kelly, and I'm one of the directors and founders of our First Intuition office down in Chelmsford. And unlucky, or I'm sure Dave would say lucky for me, uh, he happens to be my other half. So uh, he gets the night off tonight doing the podcast and it's uh, me instead. But let me pass you over to my co-host, Jess, for her to introduce herself. Hello, good evening. Uh, As Kelly said, my name is Jess. I look after marketing at FI Limited and work as part of the central team. Um, I've got over 11 years of marketing experience working in roles across travel, hospitality, events, publishing, and now I'm working as a mat lead cover at FI. Brilliant. No, and thank you, Jess, for so joining me tonight to, to take over. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got our guests, so I'll let them introduce um, themselves. So if we start with um, Rebecca. Uh, so I'm Rebecca or Becky White. Um, I also am from the First Intuition Chelmsford branch. I'm the apprenticeship manager there. Uh, I've been at FI Chelmsford since the end of 2016. Uh, worked in various roles. There's a joke about how my job title changes every six months because I like to get involved where I can. Um, but yeah, I'm absolutely loving my time here. Um, I was a career changer, um, you know, got my degree later into my 20s and decided to sort of get into education, um, but have got experience elsewhere in marketing, sort of content management and also project management as well. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. I'm just going round on my screen. Um, Laura, do you want to introduce yourself? Thanks, Kelly. Hi, I'm Lara Jeanroy. I'm managing partner of RSM's East Anglia offices uh, in Cambridge and Berries and Edmonds. RSM is a top 10 uh, accountancy firm. I'm also an audit partner and I have a particular focus on growth, tech and life science businesses. And I've been in the profession for over 25 years, which makes me feel very old now. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, And Emma? Hi there. Um, My name's Emma, Emma Liddell. Um, I'm a tutor here at First Intuition in Chelmsford. I'm an associate director as well, but I'm a qualified accountant and I'm also a busy mum of three. So hopefully something to add. Thank you. And then finally on our panel, uh, we've got Jill. Hi, everybody. My name is Jill Wright and I'm one of the directors of Kirk News Home. So Kirk News Home's a small practice of about 55 people uh, based in just outside Leeds in West Yorkshire. Um, our practice looks after clients, anything from just tiny little £100,000 turnover clients to about £40 million turnover. I'm one of the audit partners and I also look after the business services team and uh, get very heavily involved with um, student recruitment, recruitment in general and student training. So, yeah, quite a varied role. 
thank you thank you everybody so I said this evening's podcast is in honour of kind of International Women's Day and we've picked this theme of challenging bias so I thought let's start think let's almost think right back to the beginning and you know do we actually think that bias starts before women even get to work you know does it start at school or even even at home I wonder what sort of are our perhaps thoughts on, on that idea of you know is bias impacting us as women before we even get into our careers so I'm going to go to Lara first to see if she's got any sort of thoughts from her point of view around that sort of issue what do you think yeah and that's a really interesting one because Obviously, I've been in the profession 25 years. I look back at when I was at school, I didn't feel there was much negative bias that I experienced. And if there was, I would have thought that would have changed quite significantly. But I was lucky. I I was brought up in a household, you know, where we were treated the same. I think I had all the opportunities my brother had. I was never told I couldn't do things. But it was very interesting because I was interviewing someone a couple of weeks ago so obviously a lot younger and probably you would have thought was most unlikely to to experience that bias. And at school, she'd been told that she wouldn't go to university because she was a girl and she should look at being a hairdresser or a secretary. And and I thought, well, that's I, I didn't get that in my day. So I was really surprised that this bias does exist. I said I didn't experience, but it does seem to still be out there so I was really shocked to, to get that feedback obviously she went against what she was told and and pursued a, a, a professional career but I was very surprised so that you know that that question made me really think that I you know I'm very surprised still that this is you know a real problem in society. Yeah that does that does really surprise me because like you I, mean, I did go to an all-girls school um, but it was very much you know that you know, all opportunities were open to us. Um, university was very much something that was sort of promoted. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of, I'm quite surprised actually to, to, hear, to hear that, that, you know, in some situations that is, that is, still, that is still happening. Um, Jill, I don't know, have you experienced anything at all like that? Again, someone who's, you know, recruiting, um, you know, a lot of different people in, into roles. Yeah, I um well I, I agree with what, what Laura said there in that personally myself I, I don't think I've been subject to that. Uh, but I've been brought up with a you know a family uh, and one of two siblings were both girls and um, my mum and my dad worked and so I suppose looking at a female role model, my mum worked um, and also probably had primary care for, for raising us as children. Um, I never felt that I was any sort of second class to any males that I came across, you know, as I was going through school. But but clearly there are cultures, religions, groups of people, um, you know, people with um, different financial backgrounds, etc., who who I think face things like that an awful lot more than than I do. I read an article the other day when we were just I was just thinking about tonight. Um, And I was reading the article that said, actually, when you look at what comes through school and education, generally, and a massive generalisation, but this article was definitely inferring that that the girls come out of school and the education system ahead of the boys. And then in their early professional years, 
the girls are ahead of the boys. So exactly the same. But then something happens because you don't get boards that are reflected mainly of women. And so something is going on somewhere along the line. And um, you can't deny the fact that part of that maybe is because women go on and have the families and, you know, and science and technology still these days, it's going to be a woman who goes and has a child, even if that woman chooses not to take a great deal of time off, it's still the woman who, who has, has the children. But I almost wonder whether sometimes, you know, women are sometimes allowing themselves to be treated differently because something happens when a relationship happens and automatically somehow maybe some people are seeing themselves not as the breadwinner or, you know, it's either looking after the children or it's a career and not, not effectively having perhaps an open enough conversation with their partner to say, well, this is us together between us as a unit we're going to make the careers and the family work. How are we going to do that? It's not just an automatic male's going to be a breadwinner and, and the, the lady's going to bring up the children. And so sometimes I, I'm not sure whether we're almost allowing something to happen to us. Um, and whether that's whether that goes back because you go back a generation or two and that was the case, the man was the breadwinner and the lady stayed at home. Um, I don't know, but it... In some ways, to me, I see more people suffering from it now than I did perhaps when when I was, you know, young and leaving school and getting into my career. For me personally, I've not found it to be an issue, but clearly it is an issue when you look at what happens between early professional careers and 20 years down the line. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for that, Jill. And um, I think, again, thinking about myself, it's actually probably where the bias has come, or I see it, is actually from my parents because they had that sort of relationship where my father was very much, you know, his his time was for his career. So my mum didn't really, really, didn't really work that much. You know, she had us when, you know, when she was in her early 20s and she didn't really then, she stayed at, at home and that's how their relationship was sort of set up. I think they find it quite hard then to see that, myself and my sister haven't done the same thing and that you know you know you can't have it all and you know kids are you know might not be doing x y and z that they should because you're spending too much time at at work so I think for for me it's probably actually come from sort of their, their views about how things how things should should be done which actually sort of I suppose takes me on to the next theme which was around that idea as you said Jill the technology hasn't moved on enough yet that biologically as as a as a woman we are the, the only ones that can have you know the children which will involve things like maternity leave and extra home commitments childcare. Um, <laughs> this can potentially be something that sort of hangs over women in, in their career. What do we think can be done to, to change this, do we think? Or again, have you experienced those kind of issues yourself? Um, I don't know if I can maybe pass over to, to hear from, from Emma on that. I know she's a busy mum of three. Um, I just want to jump back to that. I know it's going jumping backwards, but back to my last question. Same, slightly different, your last question, slightly different bias I felt, I suppose, was 
I did have, um, I was in a family where I was considered to be academic, but I also knew I wanted to be a mum. So I always felt a slightly different bias and pressure to get a career and get a job where everything was safe and where I could potentially do both and go back to it. So I don't know if that was maybe a slightly different bias for me. I chose accountancy because I knew that I could be an accountant and be a mum. And I suppose that maybe shoehorned me into that slight area instead. Um, but in terms of, I think th- I think things have moved on from my perspective. I think as a lot of a lot of um, men who were sharing parental leave, I know for my third child, my husband shared parental leave with me. That was a really effective way for us both to a get some time with the children and also to share that responsibility. I suppose. And um, I think a lot of it comes from employers as well in terms of how employers are treating people that potentially want to do that or want to be flexible. Yeah, I'm not sure what your original question was, Kelly. I've gone off. off yeah, track. no, I think, I think we've seen, haven't we, in our own team, actually, mm. where people have, um, you know, sort of gone off and, and had children when they return. For a few of them, actually, it is that they are then sharing that mm. with their yeah. with their partner, and they're both choosing to do, say, maybe eighty percent, um, rather than you know one person having to do sixty percent and the other one doing the, the hundred percent. Um, mm. And you know, there is that almost equality then for men as well I think with mm-hmm. you know employers offering that flexibility not always just for women but actually for for the other halves of you know mm-hmm. or whoever the partner is of, of that person. Becky did you have any sort of thoughts that you wanted to add? Yeah I think I've, I've probably had um, a couple of very good because I've got two children of my own and I think I had very different experiences with both um, being that my second I had obviously while I was at first intuition and it's so supportive around working mums and you know I knew that I wanted to build my career and you know Kelly and Dave have mentored me even through maternity leave coming back there was always a plan for me that I could still grow and progress and that's that's that was what I've always wanted um, from an employer I had a completely awful experience the first time when I was actually um, working marketing and I was maternity cover myself for somebody and that person decided not to come back and they told me that they wanted to keep me on permanently that I would get a contract through and I was you know I was ecstatic I was really happy it was local to where I lived it was you know a really nice little job and then when the contract came through the day before I found out I was pregnant with my first and me wanting you know I am an open honest person and I didn't want to be look that I was deceiving them that if I signed a contract and then told them I was pregnant I thought I'm an, I'm an open person I want them to know that I'm honest I literally just found out I'm pregnant but I still want to sign this contract I'm still committed I'm probably going to have six months maternity leave you know etc cetera, etc cetera. my husband works um oh he wasn't my husband at the time but he was self-employed so he couldn't even share any of the maternity with me um well the next day I got told that actually I'm no longer needed that they'll just terminate my contract um, because they've reshuffled um, the, the department. They ended up just extending my contract up until maternity leave. And then two weeks before I left, um, I had someone introduce themselves to me saying, oh, you need to tell me what you do because I'm taking over from you. Um, you know, my, I mean, my partner and I said, oh, perhaps there's grounds there for tribunal or whatever. It's unfair. But, you know, at that time, I would have to pay out of my own money to then take it further to get legal advice you know we were worried if I even had a job you know we were living off one salary I had a mortgage also we had this baby coming in you know it was a really scary time and I couldn't we couldn't afford to take the risk so we never did um but you know I just it was very very unfair because I'm you know I did my job really well and I knew I did and I was really valued and funnily enough six months into my maternity leave they called me up wanted me to go back so it was just a really stressful 
time and I didn't enjoy my maternity leave because I was so scared about you know I was, I was job hunting and you know it was you know it, and I've suffered you know mental health issues because of it and you know I just think it was when I went back to work I you know I was still as good as I was before and it was just a shame that I had to go through that for them to to realize and it's you know if anything I think my experience is you know I was on maternity leave I was studying for a degree I was planning a wedding we'd moved house I was doing all of this on pretty much on my own because my husband had to work around the clock you know because he you know to, to, to keep us afloat and you know it's just if anything it showed me that I'm you know I'm more than capable I'm I can multitask and I can I can you know manage myself and my time and it was just really frustrating that just because I was pregnant I was all of a sudden no good so what is it that we need to be making sure that we do as 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 employers then ladies to you know make sure things like that sort of don't don't happen what what sort of things do you do you do you as employers have within your firm to sort of support that Jill yeah just one thing I was just thinking of then I mean that that's you had a an awful time Rebecca that that's just that's just awful because you've also you know had a little bit of um, your time with that baby taken away from you because you weren't able to relax and, and focus on that. So um, that that's not on, is it? But I think one thing that we we do need to change is um, when people if they if they come back from maternity or if they've had a career break of any time and they come back and they're looking at a part time role, there seems to be something that says if it's a part time role, it can't be as senior a role. And I completely don't get that at all, because if there's if there's a job that has 100 parts and and somebody can just do 50 of those parts in half of the time, the fact that they're only doing 50 of those parts doesn't mean that's a less senior role. It's exactly the same role, but they're only doing part of it. And presumably somebody else may may pick up on the other parts. So I I do think there's a, a bit of a thought in that if somebody is part-time be it two days three days four days whatever that they can't possibly hold the most senior roles and what I've seen is people who are part-time are incredibly efficient with their time because they actually achieve so much in those days and and I also think are often really really good with their children because they really value those days with their children as well because they haven't got five of them or seven of them you know of those consecutive days all the time to be with the children so when they have you know two days off in the week and the weekend to spend with the children they they make the most of that and they make the most of their work time so I think there's something wrong with um the way as soon as somebody indicates that they don't want to work a 40-hour week or whatever that they're it's treated as though they don't want as high a profile job Mm. oh definitely Laura I think you had some other thoughts there too Yeah, I was just going to add on to what Jill was saying. I totally agree with that. And I also think it's the structure of the working day, which doesn't help women in part-time roles. So, for example, I remember having a leadership role and we had a meeting every month at 8.30 in the morning in London. Well, when you're trying to arrange taking kids to school, trying to get to London for a meeting that starts at 8.30 is quite challenging. So why do we... And often it's because you know, these meetings are set up by people that don't think the people 
coming have any other responsibilities. So again, it's in the workplace having core hours that enable people working part time or that, that you can have a more senior role. Because of course, as a woman, you'd look at that and say, well, I can't do that role because if part of the role is being able to be at meetings at certain times, I can't do that because I don't work those hours. So I think it's as employers just being mindful of the fact that perhaps there are core hours that we should be doing meetings, which means that it doesn't discriminate against, you know, either mothers or, or, or people with other caring responsibilities. A lot of us now, you know, look after, you know, other people as well as children. So I, I think, uh, as an, and I certainly try and, and think that way myself, because I think that's often a barrier as well for women, as you said, Jill, and then they accept lower, less responsible positions, because that means it's not as important if they can't they can't engage in the workplace in the same way and I think some of those points also apply to you know not just 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 women either as you said there are other people of other genders who may have other you know whether it's childcare or other commitments that they have outside of work and you know we've had some members of our team who aren't women who ask you know who, who are also part-time because it's about trying to get that balance about you know what, what's important to you as, as well sorry and um, Becky I think you had something there too yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, if anything, like, you know, when we think about what happened in lockdown, <laughs> I think that just showed us that actually we are capable of running a family, running a home and doing a senior role as well. You know, some of us were even homeschooling <laughs> and, you know, managing younger children or other family members, um, you know, if, especially if other family members were shielding with you, you know, all of a sudden you're taking on even extra commitments and we're still able to do their jobs. Um, and also I just think about like my partner, who, you know, my, my other half, who, you know, in, in parts of his job, he could do from home, but his firm are so strict on not, no homeworking. And, you know, I think as well for anyone that isn't perhaps the, taking that, that mother role, um, you know, especially like for dads, and it's, it is just, you know, because it also gives us support as mums. You know, if I had my husband there that was able to have a little bit more flexibility with his job, it would really help, you know, and support me to be able to do, you know, my job and, and other things as well. So I think just generally the idea of family commitments or, you know, and whether, like you say, whether that's caring for a parent or, you know, a sibling or whatever, I think sometimes it's almost frowned upon that you're, you either have to have to prioritize your family or prioritize your work but it's like actually we are capable of being able to do both really really well just by having a little bit perhaps of flexibility yeah no thanks I've got Laura and Emma keen to discuss further so I'll go to I'll go to Emma first and I'll come to you Laura, Laura. <laughs> Emma thank you um, I was just gonna say I think um there's a lot of old traditional style companies and firms that were about when you had your bum in your seat and when you were at work and when you were doing your working hours I think more progressive firms like first intuition for example are moving to what output is this person giving me is this person doing what they need to do it doesn't matter what time of the day or how it happens but what are they actually achieving is that what that job's supposed to be there for I think that's quite important and that that goes across the board for men and women like like you say there's my husband has blocks in his diary where he's picking up the kids and doing this or people have other caring commitments that's kind of after lockdown fades into well, what is this person actually achieving I think that's quite important for me yeah, I think it sparked a bit of interest in the chat box as well. Um, someone there sort of saying, you know, job sharing needs to become the, the norm. And also, you know, employers really thinking about, you know, what, what the policies are to make sure that we're not, you know, discriminating 
okay it's not just women but actually all groups um, of individuals Lara yeah I was just just wanted to add because we touched on share parental leave and as a firm we offer that but the take-up is quite low from men so when we're talking about that bias and unconscious bias I think mm -hmm. it applies equally I think there are probably more men or partners that want to, to support but maybe they feel that's going to count against them so I think you know we've got to look at it from both sides because I do think a lot of em, em, employers do try and support that but as I said the take-up is still quite low and on the part-time working if I look at our roles as I said most of our part-time roles are women not men yeah and now actually we're actually seeing almost more bias then coming in for for, for for, for the men. Jill, I think you had something there too. Yeah, I was just thinking about the part-time situation really, because um, in, in professional services roles, like for, for a number of us, um, there's always a certain amount of, um, if you like, non-chargeable tasks to do. And they don't seem to be half if you're only working half of a week. So I think often a part-time person can find that quite a chunk of their time is taken up with, you know, if you have to go to a board meeting and it's an hour, then it's an hour whether you work 20 hours a week or 40 hours a week. And so suddenly I think sometimes people can panic and think, well, you know, I'll do the essential non-chargeable bits, but then I have to have my head down and I need to get my chargeable or my client work or whatever done. And then I think what happens is women sometimes then don't take advantage of Things like leadership training, which might in theory be available to them, but potentially how do they squeeze? You know, if they've got opportunity for a leadership training that is potentially, say, half a day a week for a number of weeks, how do they squeeze that in to something that is already a very tight timescale? And I think that that type of training often goes by the wayside and therefore they then automatically put themselves in a position when they where they are less skilled at something potentially because they've not received the same amount of training um so i do think the part-time thing has quite a knock-on effect in 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 so many ways i do wonder sometimes whether men you know you know i'm man i build fire you know i am the provider and all the rest of it and actually some of them are just way too scared to say i can't possibly go to a four-day week when I've got young children, because what will that look like to me, you know, with fellow men around me? Are they going to judge me as, you know, you know, being a bit soft and having to look after their children? But gosh, I would really re respect men who would do that. My, my husband, when um, after our first was born, he went down to four days a week. We both worked, you know, slightly shorter weeks. Um, I, I couldn't have kept my career and and had such a lovely life without having the right partner involved as well. And I know I've been really, really lucky, but that we've had to have conversations about that. That doesn't happen automatically. Um, so I think, I think you've got to, you know, choose right careers and things like that. I think you've got to choose right partners and right people to work with as well. I think, thank you, Jill. I think there are so many brilliant points that were raised there. Um, I actually am a part-timer, but not because we have children, just because I choose to do that. And then I do volunteering on the weekend. I'm not going to go into that. Don't worry. But um, there's a lot of, like, I choose to do that. And um, I think FI, sorry, verse intuition or FI, 
is is so good at supporting that and I never feel like I'm kind of forced into a corner with any kind of leadership training or anything else and I feel like we're really supported here and we're lucky but similar to what Becky was saying about your awful experience from before in your kind of in a previous role that that just shouldn't be happening this is the 21st century it's crazy that these kind of things are happening um and I'm, I'm kind of keen to to get your opinions on what kind of bias affects women at different stages of their career so that's why I'm kind of harking back to Becky and here we're talking about things like education right through to promotion and then the later years in people's careers um Lara I'd love to come straight to you yeah, well, as I said at the beginning, education, no, I don't think I experienced mm -hmm. any bias there. I think the, the most bias I experienced was in the workplace. And a lot of it, I would say, was unconscious bias. But it was mainly, I think, people projecting what I thought I should want to do as a mother. So, for example, when I started my training contract, going back to what Becky was saying, I already had my daughter at that point, but I didn't tell anyone because I knew that that would potentially that I wouldn't be given the opportunities the same as everyone else because I'd be considered that I wasn't as committed you know I was a mum so I, I chose to keep that to myself and then when my son was born several years later and I, I was off work for three months minimum maternity leave that I could afford to take I went back to my return to work meeting and the two male partners that met me said oh we weren't expecting you coming to come back to work you're a mum of two now so surely you'll be staying at home and I remember thinking that is not an option and it was very bizarre and I they didn't do it with any malicious intent to them they just didn't think the women with children would stay working so that's the sort of bias I've encountered the sort of other people telling me and then I'm questioning myself thinking I hadn't even thought I could be a stay-at-home mum. That wasn't so. I questioned myself as to: Am I right to want to work? Is that not what other people do? So that's really, and I've had that all the way through my career, even you know, ongoing. It's just other people's expectations of what I should want to do as a mother or woman, and and uh, and I yeah, I don't know how we change that I guess it will evolve over time but that's that's where I've experienced it the most in those situations. Jill what what do you think? Yeah I was just think I was just thinking of something then you know we are men and women are fundamentally different and we we see things fundamentally differently at times and you know, whether in general there's a natural inclination for a woman to try and, you know, fix things and support the family and things like that. And there's a natural inclination for, for men to maybe not do it quite like that. I don't know. But I, I, I read another article and I, it's one that I think we maybe even mentioned this on, on the call last year. Um, and it was in relation to, um, I suppose, it, women's confidence in themselves really compared to and again this is a huge generalization but compared to men's confidence in themselves and it, it was the article about um if somebody is applying for a job if a if a man is applying for a job and he sees the list of required skills for that job and he can tick 60 percent of them he will apply for that job and say he's competent to to do all those things that are required on there whereas a woman will look at the list of things and unless she can see that she can do 100% of all the things that are required of that job. 
will probably class herself as not really being completely capable to do that job. And that's quite a fundamental difference in, in thought, isn't it? And in terms of, well, you know, is there going to be somebody who's got all of those skills? The fact that I've got 60%, 70% of them, and I'm an intelligent person, and I can learn new skills because I've proven how I've done that by juggling raising children and other jobs. You know, what is holding me back from applying for that position when a man will, will go into that position and lag his way through it or, some, or something? Something must be fundamentally different in us if, um, if we take such a different approach to even a situation like, you know, potential job opportunity. I've, uh, I've heard that statistic before and I'm going to try and be really polite, but it, it really irks me. Um, and Kelly's like, don't say anything, don't say anything. Um, but it absolutely, I, it drives me bananas. And I, I think it's probably true. And it's it's awful that these kind of, we've got these social constraints on us. Um, Emma, it looked like you were about to say something. Yeah, I don't know whether it might be slightly controversial. I don't know. But I, I saw somebody um, on Facebook earlier, someone from FI actually, said um in the future there won't be leader there won't be female leaders there'll just be leaders and i'm slightly of a different opinion if we i think fundamentally men and women we're all different in the same in equal ways and i think if we see ourselves as men and women we're never going to be equal we're just people or we're not i don't know if that's slightly controversial to the table but yeah <laughs> that's what i think I, uh, I like that. I was doing some pre-work with one of my colleagues today and kind of came to that conclusion as well. I was like, it should just be an equality day. And then should we really have an equality day or should it just be, oh, that's normal and everyone is equal anyway? Uh, Becky? It's that whole sort of CEO, isn't it? Girl boss, CEO and, and all of that kind of stuff. I think I, I, I saw um, a thread sort of going on Twitter about it because someone was like, surely that, you know, it should just be CEO. It should just be boss <laughs> or leader, as you say, because it's almost like trying to glamorise something when it should just be opportunity. You know, it, that opportunity should be there for anyone of any gender, of any background anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought that was, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Emma. I think that it's just, we're just people, right? Agreed. But that's not to say, it does oversimplify things because as we've been discussing for the last 39 minutes, it isn't as simple, as it? It isn't as simple as all that. I know it's an oversimplified opinion. <laughs> How could it be simplified though? What could I know I'm going off piece, Kelly? Um, what could we do to to sort of simplify it? Any any thoughts? I just think communication, really. I think it sounds really bizarre. Yeah. I think that a lot of it is, like you say, because it's that unconscious bias and because there are, you know, like some some managers will say, oh, it's because we've had this before and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, just talk to me talk to me we tell okay so don't give me the contract because you're concerned well tell me what your concerns are and then let's come to a conclusion together and um, don't just don't just shove me to the side just because I'm a mum or because you know whatever um you know talk to me but you know keep that open communication um and just hearing from other people's experiences like things like this like a, a forum like a podcast um I just think keep that open mind and I think that the, a lot of managers you know, when you look at certain boards of certain ages, and especially if, you know, you've got a, a board that's, you know, in their late 50s or whatever, they're, all they're looking forward to now is retirement. Mm. They're probably not looking forward to changing their, they're not looking to change their ways. But, 
you know, by having a more diverse workforce, by having people, you know, different part-timers, different people in the business, different backgrounds, different situations, like you said, Jess, like, you know, you, you're part-time, but it's because you volunteer, mm-hmm. you know, that brings a whole new diverse way of thinking into into it it just makes the working environment so much more interesting so many more new ideas new processes new ways of working we've seen it at fi we've seen it in other places it it works so well and it's just for those leaders in you know at the moment it's just you know it's almost like you know pleading with them for the new leaders that are coming in for the new people that are sort of starting to take those roles it's i think keep an open mind and keep the communication open and talk to your people and you know work out how this could work for them and how why do you want to you know that person must obviously bring something to the business Mm, they're they're, they're there for a reason right so yeah why would you not want to to make it work for them if they and if anything like you know from from my experience at FI from working with an employer who really supports you and helps you be able to do juggle your home life and your work life and be able to progress in your career if anything all it does is make me more passionate for the company that I work for it makes me want it makes me work harder and it makes me want to keep progressing because I'm working for somebody that cares about me as well as a person so I think it would only work in an employer's favor fantastic uh, Emma did you want to say something else to wrap up that piece if not, that's fine. I, oh, I thought I saw sure. your hand. No, <laughs> no, I thought <laughs> you're just stretching. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, I think we... it's. I think it's easy for me to oversimplify the problem, isn't it? If if it, and I also think, on reflection, what I said, I think the it, it, for so many years women weren't equal that to suddenly assume we're suddenly just going to be equal again oversimplifies it, doesn't it? But I hope for my children and their generation, every generation to come, it International Women's Day is just International People's Day. But I know there's a long. Oh, it, there is a Judy from the chat says there is an international Wednesday as well, which I, think I wholeheartedly agree with. That's very good. We should do a podcast. In fact, we should check if the 19th of November is a Wednesday. Perhaps we can get Dave to lead on that. Um, we've got another couple of comments as well saying uh, from Sarah saying men always ask for more money too. Um, and then we've got a, a comment from Emma, uh, which says that men see the positive and women see the negative. Uh, and she remembers that from last last year too um so i'm going to move on to the next question which is and we've sort of touched on it before but perhaps there are some examples we can draw out so have you personally experienced bias in your careers and how did you deal with it and also how did it affect you um if i can go straight over to lara yeah i think i mentioned sort of the the bias i'd experienced mm-hmm. um how did i deal with it i i probably just didn't deal with it because I probably expected to receive that bias because the whole point I went into the workplace knowing that there were certain things you know then I that I didn't want to disclose because I knew that it would have an impact on me so and that's wrong so there was an acceptance that I should experience bias and I would challenge myself now as to whether or not I should have accepted it so what I would do differently is challenge it now but then it was expected because it was just what as I said what you'd expect in the workplace and I probably still would accept it and I think that's where I really challenge myself now not to consider that it should be accepted but I think we do 
And that's the biggest challenge I think we have to, to actually challenge it and call it out when we see it, because I definitely didn't, but I just considered it normal. I wonder if there's a sort of, I think we, we all have lots of challenges and, and, and biases anyway, men, women, whoever you are. Um, and I'm wondering if, if there gets to a point where you turn, I don't know, 35 40 22 whatever the age is and then you suddenly go right I'm not standing for this anymore or is it something that we just go we're going to accept it until we say you you put your foot down you say I'm not accepting this anymore is there any sort of thought around that or perhaps again the social side of it uh one for either Lara or Jill Lara do you want to go for it Jill over to you Uh, okay (laughs) um I, I think just stepping back did I experience it? I, I don't think I experienced um, poor treatment or anything like that that we've already spoken about. But I, I when I first left university, I, I went to one of the big firms of accountants trained there. And it was a very grey-suited, male-dominant you know, environment in terms of all the senior, all the partners in that, in that organisation. They were, they were all men. I didn't come across any female partners. Um, I suppose that was what I expected at the time. And, and what I did find is that the women who, who did have senior positions at that point had those senior positions and tried to behave like the men because uh, that's what they saw as being, maybe that was how they got there or maybe that was what they thought they had to behave like. Um, and actually, I think it comes back to what you were saying um, yourself, Emma, about it's about a person. It's not about really whether they're a man or whether they're a woman. It's about a person and, a, and that person bringing all of their skills to the table. And we have to say, you know, a lot, a lot of women have got some incredible skills compared to some of their male colleagues in terms of being able to juggle and prioritise and put, you know, the accountancy industry, very people-driven industry, putting people first, um, so we've got an awful lot of skills that I don't think a senior lady needs to be a typical ball busting, you know, let's have a go at the men that, you know, that's certainly not the way I feel at all. I think just come to the table with something different and a different set of skills and and show everybody that those skills have a really important part to play. And rather than thinking, well, they're women's skills or they're men's skills or whatever, they're just skills and every board should have a a really good mixture of all of these different skills. I know some of my male colleagues are better at certain things than I am, but I definitely know that there are things that I am better at than than they are. And whether it's because I'm a woman or I'm just a person. Yeah, just human. It's just different people. Yeah, doing different things better than others, and you know, not as good as other in, in, in other situations. Um, Becky, you had your hand up there. Yeah, just I mean, in terms of sort of challenging the bias, I think uh, I, I think in my own personal experience, I think like you say, you kind of just expect some of it. So I think as I grew up, I mean, I, I was quite lucky in in school and college and stuff. I had some really great, powerful women role models that really pushed me and you know and academically I did you know I ended up doing quite well um but I would say that in the workplace there were certain things like you know you felt like oh I can't say anything because I'm going to look down I'm going to be you know, it's going to be frowned upon if you know but I've just got to get on with it I've just got to expect that that's the kind of thing I have to deal with um but I do think because times are sort of changing 
the education is there. And we've got social media now where we have got all these outspoken people that are now saying, this is not okay. We shouldn't be standing for that. And I think it's with that and with age and experience, I feel like I'm now at that point where I'm happy to call it out. But what's what I'm finding really great is because of that, we, you know, we, I work with, you know, a lot of young apprentices now and we've even got, you know, some of them who are in their sort of late teens, early 20s that are coming to us saying this has been happening at work and I don't think it's right. Can you help me? And they're actually recognising it now themselves that it's not OK. Whereas perhaps when I was that age, if that had happened to me, I probably would have just swept it under the carpet and been like, oh, I've just, you know, I've just got to get on with it. But they're now seeing that it's that's not right. That's potential bias or discrimination. And I think it's through education and through having the confidence from you know seeing it elsewhere and having more awareness of it, I think, that we're able to challenge it a little bit more now. That makes me so happy to hear that. Thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, Emma, last point from you, I think. Yeah, I was just going to say, from listening to what the people on screen have been saying, it seems like we haven't experienced much bias in our early years, but there seems like there comes a point later on in our careers where it becomes like someone's asking you what choice you're going to make. I just don't know how we break that down. Well, that's the thing is there shouldn't even really be a point where people are saying, do you have children? Do you not? Do you have a career? How do you do it? But it does seem like there's that, point I don't know how we break that down really mm. anyone have any ideas? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jill we'll go over to you yeah I just think you know I suppose we've we've got an opportunity to try and you know change the next generation a bit I I've got I've got two children a girl and a boy I I don't think either of them would look at our family situation and think that there is a role for a man and a role for a woman um, they just see us as parents and both supporting the house, those kids, they've grown up, you know, and different work choices. And in our particular house, you know, I, I've got a longer career. I, I work more than my husband. And, and these days, my husband spend most time, spends more time looking after the house and things like that. But, you know, there's a, there's a role model to be had. And um, it, it hits you quite a lot, I think. It's difficult when you've got young children, but it comes around again in a cycle, doesn't it, for, for everybody, not just women, in that, you know, we start to be in a position where we're having to support our parents. Um, mm. And also, you know, we get to an age, maybe in our 50s, where we've got a lot of health issues for ourselves to deal with as well, that, you know, maybe forced upon us sort of hormonally and things like that. And we have a lot to deal with. Um, but I think we have a responsibility to show the next generation that um, there's lots of opportunities available, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, the fact that you're a person <laughs> and yeah. you make, again, the, be the best of everything that you've got in your armour. Very interesting. Thank you. Uh, Kelly, would you like to lead on to the last question? Yes, I think we've sort of covered actually quite a lot of different areas, haven't we, as we've been yeah. sort of discussing. I've just been reflecting my sort of self there, which is our sort of, you know, our final thoughts is really, you know, sort of wrapping up in terms of, you know, what, you know, what can, you know, what can we do to ensure that that bias has been challenged, which I know quite a few people have sort of touched on already. Um, and thinking about myself, I think for me as a, as a woman in a senior leadership position, that you know, part of my role should be ensuring, and I hope it is, you know, ensuring that there are equal opportunities for women in my team. That you know, they're not 
restricted from being able to have leadership or senior positions just because they are a woman but I think still wider than that shouldn't really just be down to that particular gender should be equality for for all you know every person brings different skills you know to them regardless of gender race you know whatever background it is and it's been able to you know ensure that we are driving the right type of culture and challenging you know that culture because I think where I used to work goodness <laughs> there were certainly some things I think like Laura said I won't go into sort of detail where I look back and I think I kind of just accepted that that was okay and you look back and you think that was not that was not okay in terms of you know sort of how you know how I was treated so I suppose what I'd like to do is sort of wrap up with a a comment perhaps from each of us about our sort of closing thoughts really and those closing thoughts around you know what is it that we do need to do to make sure that we are challenging the bias that may be surrounding our particular gender as women so if I come to our first closing thought with with you Becky. Um, I don't know I think for me personally I mean I've got two boys and I think for me it can never start too early with boys or girls because I think it's really important that we teach our girls you know that they are capable of doing anything but I think it's also important to teach boys as well that anyone any you know regardless of boy girl whatever any other gender any other race any other background whatever that you're capable of doing anything if you know if you know the opportunities there and that you should support everyone around you to you know and I think it does it should start from an early age because I think it was kind of always ingrained in me that you know if I put my mind to it if I if I want to do it I should I should just go and do it um but I know that that's not always the case for everybody and I know generationally perhaps it wasn't either um and I just think as well from from a you know if we think think about perhaps some of the bias that we've encountered in our past you know, with, with, you know, men leaders, you know, male leadership, I think that actually it should be ingrained in our children for both genders that, you know, it should just be equal opportunities for everybody. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Laura? I mean, I think what I've picked up from our conversation tonight and has made me think differently is, is we kept coming back, let's just think of each other as people. We're not male, female, we're not black, white, we're, no, we're people, what skills do we have? And if we start to challenge ourselves, how we think about others, and we educate that way, then some of this will go away. And over time as well, as you said, because the role models are changing, all of our children are growing up in an environment where they're, they're seeing a lot more equality, then I think, as I said, it's just thinking of someone as a person, and not try, not starting already to put them in a box, and that box with it comes with preconceived ideas, judgments, etc. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. I think from our conversation this evening. Yeah, no, definitely, I totally, totally agree with that. Um, Emma, um, I think it's, a, it's not a wrap-up thought; it's a new thought. But I think COVID's helped us with that, Laura. I think COVID's helped because the, everything's been blurred, all the lines been blurred. Everyone's had to do what everyone else needs to do, and that's really helped us realize what everyone's doing it, that we have in our house we have a saying if everyone's stressed it's not because we're all doing 50 percent because we're all trying to do 90 percent of 180 we just saw what too much so i think covid's actually covid has helped us in some ways actually see that we're all just trying to be people and do the best we can so yeah okay. yeah no definitely and i think where it has changed you know certain working practices certain attitudes it's then not losing some of those positives as we get back to normality um as well finally um chill 
I think what, what Becky had said then about, you know, I suppose we, we look at our girls, you know, our, our children, our young people, and, and try and show them that there's opportunities for them. But, but equally, we need to look at our boys mm-hmm. and, and try and, you know, hold them accountable so that they, they become a generation where they look at women or other people as, as equals. Um, I think the point about looking at everybody as a person rather than as a, a gender or a sex is really, really, really important. Um, and I think to, to try and steer people away from the thought that a, a successful woman, a strong, successful woman, is um, an unpleasant, hard woman. I, I don't think they are. I think strong, successful women are, are very rounded individuals and strong, successful bosses, whether they're men or women are very rounded individuals because I think that if they were only of one type, they probably wouldn't remain successful for very long. Um, nowadays, the days, you know, when I joined the profession and there was a senior partner who, you know, didn't lead by example at all. I think there's a lot more nowadays about leading by example, whereas when I think I entered the profession, you know, there was this figurehead, this senior senior partner or whatever and actually they didn't follow any of the rules they just got away with it because they had this senior title I I don't think people in my team would let that wash um with any of the leaders now you know it's lead lead by example really so um yeah I think you know try and educate our young people coming through um you know both the boys and the girls really yeah, no, thank you so much for, for that, Jill. And I think there's some common themes there, isn't it? It's, I think, the communication, the education to people of all genders that we should all have, you know, opportunities. Um, and, you know, as you say, it's, it's, it's not about gender. It's, it's, the, it's a person, you know, that person's got the right skills. And as, you know, thinking about our, our leadership styles, it should be that leading by example to foster the right type of culture yes for women but I think it also spans much wider than that um, than just looking at one particular one particular gender so thank you ever so much for everyone and for their time that they've taken up this evening to join us on the podcast and thank you very much and I hope to see you on a podcast again in the future thank you and thank you to Jess for my fantastic (laughs) co-hosting thank you for having me thank you cheers